no persons of any race other than a Caucasian race shall, shall use or occupy, occupy any building or any lot. This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio. I'm Father Ian Dellinger, and I'm playing with food. During the George Floyd Black Lives Matter protest, a food blogger and podcaster, Jamie Lewis, decided to do something to her house that would make it more friendly to Black, Indigenous, and persons of color. She decided to remove from her deed the restrictions that you just heard her daughter read. No person of any race other than a Caucasian race shall use or occupy any building or any lot. She worked with Race Matters Slow to document the process. I saw the documentary and saw her journey. At the public launch, she and Race Matters Slow Executive Director Courtney Hale told those assembled about their journey. I wanted to know about their journey of racial justice since the completion of the film, so I invited them to make me dinner. Over salad, paella, and apple empanadas, they share their journey. Hi, my name is Courtney Hale, and I am uh, the Executive Director of Race Matters Slow. I'm Jamie Lewis. I do lots of things, but in this case, I was a producer on the film Restrictions Apply. We're here to talk about your journey, and we're going to do this while we're cooking, right? Yeah. So I need your help. Since this is called Playing With Food, let's just start with what we're doing. I'm going to make a sausage and chicken paella. I'm going to be making some dessert empanadas, sort of like apple pie empanadas. And I did pre-make the filling, so it's not, so we're going to get, you know, frying and popping the oil later. And I brought a green salad. It's avocado tomato salad with a, some sort of dressing over it. So you've turned that on and everything, and you're going to give us tasks. And yeah. while we do our tasks, we're going to talk about your journey. You two produced a film. What was the film? Restriction Supply is about a woman in San Luis Obispo named Jamie who confronts racist language in her home deed and informs her neighbors and takes action. My role was producer and it was kind of my vision once I heard about her and, and sort of had the resources to make the film. Well, I'm that woman and I got in touch with Courtney because just it felt like the world was on fire and I happened to know that there was a racial covenant, racially restrictive covenant in my home deed right after the George Floyd protests were really coming, really blossoming, I got in touch with Courtney and said, what should I do about this? And that's where the film came from. Why would Courtney know? Well, because she's with Race Matters and she's also a black person. And I wanted to make sure I was asking, it's really not up to me how to handle this. I want to know, like, what does the community think? And so she, in her position with Race Matters, for sure, had access to a community to ask. And turns out we didn't, we didn't really ask. It was more about... She kind of shined the light back on me and said, well, how are you going to deal with this? And by the way, we're going to have a camera on you. <laughs> no pressure. And actually, it was the best thing that it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me. It was really cool to have a camera watching and keeping me on task with that job. So you put the chicken in already. Yep. Those are huge chicken they're, thighs. They're like, really, really big. I thought they were turkey thighs. I don't know what happened. <laughs> you get what you get, you yeah, know? Yeah. Why don't you, one of you, chop these two red bell peppers. Okay. And then with this, if you would, do you have a cheese grater here? Oh, probably. It doesn't matter if you don't. This recipe calls for these tomatoes to be actually like grated, uh -huh. but I think we could easily just like squish them with our hands. Too. Okay, I'll look, I'll okay. look. 
Can I use pot here too? Is that you can use whatever you like. Okay. Yeah. Oh no 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 no. That's the oil pot. That's okay. the oil pot. Do you need a different pot for? Yeah, just for some broth. But I know there's one a little less gigantic. This one's a little less gigantic. Okay. Oh, this is good. I love this pot. This is leftover from last night. Okay, and you want more? And I want more. Okay. Just the whole thing and then that. Okay. Thank you. You produced this film. The film did well. Well, we were in the Slow Film Fest and we got the Audience Award for the Central Coast Film category and that was a surprise and really cool. And then we entered a few more festivals and ended up getting accepted, I think, to five total. And we won a prize for a little film festival in Georgia called Urban Media Makers Film Festival. And so that was really cool. And now the film's actually on our website. It is free on our website with our toolkit and discussion guide too. And so anyone out there can have a click on Race Matters Slow and take it all in. What I wanted to talk to you today about while we cook is what's the journey been like since the film came out? Jamie, you've been very open and honest and transparent about being not only a white girl, but like a very white girl. You, you've used some <laughs> hyperbolic language when you describe your background. And so is that fair enough to say? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yes. What's your journey of racial justice since the film? For me personally, I see things quite a bit broader not so caught up in my own narrative as much, not nearly as much as I should be and not nearly as much as I hope to be, you know, on my deathbed. I think there's room for growth there for sure, but it was kind of a watershed moment. It was a peeling back a big layer of the onion for me to see the privilege that I hold in a grander way than just oh, I'm not going to get pulled over, you know, for nothing, or um, I'm not going to get, I don't know, I'm not going to be able to get into the college of my choice or something like that. It was, it's not big things like that. It's more, oh, I get to live in my home. I get to live in San Luis Obispo. Here we've been asking ourselves all this time, why is San Luis Obispo only 2% black? Why is that? It was always kind of this vague, ambient question. Well, now I know a big reason why. Of course, there are more reasons, you know, more systemic, intertwined reasons as to why, but they all relate somehow to the fact that black people were not welcome here and it was actually codified and legalized and it was part of federal, state, regional, city law and the law on my parcel on Almond Street. In the film, you brought your kids into that because you wanted your kids to understand. What's it been like for your children since the film? Are they more attuned to race issues? Yes, very much yes. I think partly because there's been some attention on our family and on me because of the film, I think they take a lot of pride in having had to think more about it because they were very much involved, you know, whenever we were filming at home, the kids were there. They were in the kitchen listening, or they were in on meetings that we had. This chicken is so loud, I'm sorry. <laughs> it is really speaking up. It proves that we're actually cooking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are cooking for sure. But yes, I think that they have a much, well look, how many families have you know the blessing of having a filmmaker there in the home to force conversation about this issue. That was the biggest benefit for them was they were always around when we were having these conversations. I'm 
highly aware of being a white person at the center of a film about race. We all are super aware about that. Grappling with that in front of the kids was so, I hope, really good. This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio, and I'm Father Ian playing with food on issues and ideas. Food podcaster Jamie Lewis and Race Matters leader Courtney Hale are making me dinner as we discuss their journey of racial justice since their film Restrictions Apply. There was a key thing in how Jamie described the initiation of her story. She came to you, Race Matters, and she said that you threw it back onto her. What's the significance of that? She was asking whether it was good to remove the covenant or not, because removing it removes the history of what happened, right? And so that was the question about whether it was appropriate or not. And I thought that that would be a good question for her to grapple with. And also that it would be a good opportunity to inform her neighbors and her direct community about the covenants being all over the neighborhood. And not only because to prove that historical fact, but to open the door to more conversations about racism and white privilege and sort of that the covenants are part of this, you know, web. When she was grappling, I thought that it was a good time (laughs) to grapple in a piece of media and art and to expose other people to the conversation and bring other people in. I'm sure people come to Race Matters slow and ask you what you can do for them in terms of helping them be anti-racist or less racist, right? right? right. But the shining back on the flashlight on them, how important is that? Especially in the summer of 2020, it was important to amplify black voices and center black voices. Then there's also something about white folks doing the work, talking amongst each other, unpacking various issues. Oh, you're stirring something. You're stirring something. This is chicken broth that has a ton of pimenton in it or like, you know, smoked paprika. It's just the best smell. I was wondering why it was that color. Yeah, it's got paprika in it. I saw a lot in late 2020 that white people need to do the work. People of color cannot stop racism because they're not the ones who are being racist, right? Right, right. Right. Do you see that in our community, white people are doing something? Some are. (laughs) It's been, gosh, we're coming up on two years since um, anti-Black racism really came into focus and became a cultural priority in terms of social media and what people were talking about. And then certainly the pandemic shined more of a light because there was less to like do at the time. And the protests really got the spotlight there. After two years, it's waned. I mean, it depends what doing something means and, and how how much we're putting on that or what we consider doing something. Is it, you know, maybe joining an anti-racist book club or watching movies with your kids and unpacking them? And I'd like to think a lot of folks are doing it and maybe not talking about it, which is great. Certainly organizations around town, cultural organizations, and also different places like the Chamber are still wanting to be engaged and, and doing better on that. When you talk about doing something, like Courtney said, it it depends on exactly what you mean. I mean, so much of it, again, is ambient in a way. Because of the summer of 2020 and the deaths that occurred and the protests that ensued, my friends are far more aware than they ever were before. The conversations we have are very different than they were before. I'm ashamed to say that, honestly. 
It came up as an issue, racism, anti-racism. I mean, anti-racism wasn't a word in any of our vocabulary at the time. I like that it's a word now. But you can be not just not racist, but anti-racist. And so I would say that the friends, I'm thinking of a particular group of friends, it's part of our lexicon now. As far as what they're doing, I feel like the story has shifted so much in terms of how we live our lives, the books that we read, the way we consume media, the way we talk to our families, the way we talk to our parents. It's been really interesting. So many of us and grandparents and people who live in different parts of the country and the world. I would say as far as doing something goes, the proudest work that I've done is helping to create the discussion guide for the film. That discussion guide, I think Courtney would agree, it is just, it's so good. We hired somebody to write it and it's powerful. I hope that people are using it. We talk about checking your privilege and we were talking about checking your privilege before the pandemic. Have you found yourself checking your bias? Contextualize that for me. Um... I know what I'm talking about because I've done it myself, but I don't know how to articulate it. Does that yeah. make sense? But like, I don't know, I'll use a not so subtle example, but like, oh, say you go into 7-Eleven and you're the only, the only European American there, your heart jumps a bit and you then have to check your bias and say, hang on, why am I having this reaction? Oh yeah. And it's in a split second, right? Isn't it? I mean, it's just so fast, but yes, the simple answer is yes. It can make a person sit and think for a long time about... Well, it's, it's the air we breathe, it's the water we drink. I mean, it's just everywhere. And so having that moment, I'm very grateful for that moment of pause to realize, hold on, you know, you get kind of higher than where you are at surface level and you realize, shoot, I'm thinking about this differently now. I'm watching myself from above go through these thoughts of, shoot, I'm the only European American person in this room and I don't want to use the word meta, but it's there to be above something and watch it kind of from the corner of the room to watch my thoughts go by is very instructive. Yeah. So this chicken, this giant chicken <laughs> is taking a long time. Well, you're supposed to, I mean, you really brown it for a total of 25 minutes. Okay. Well, it's getting there, but I like it to be really, really brown. Partly because this is huge and I want to make sure it's cooked all the way, but also the flavor is in these little bits. Yeah. Mm. That's when it starts to taste good. And we're going to be browning sausage too. This is a very long recipe. <laughs> this is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio, and I'm Father Ian playing with food on issues and ideas. I'm having a conversation about the journeys of racial justice of food podcaster Jamie Lewis and Race Matters leader Courtney Hale since their film Restrictions Apply. So it's all assembled now, and it's bubbling away. How long until we dine? 25 minutes. Yeah. Mm. And then we have to let it sit for a tiny bit, and then it's ready. But otherwise, I mean, it's pretty much ready to just sit. Okay. Isn't it pretty? Well, then we should sit Let's with our glasses sit. of wine. Let's do that. Don't feel... I'm excited. Don't feel like you have to eat everything, okay? It's a lot of food. Paya is hot and tasty. So, do you think there's a role that food can play in race relations? Mm-hmm. Yes, for the cultural exchange. And there's also, of course, ways to eat and consume ethically in terms of how various brands or farms or outlets treat their workers. And I think you could certainly, like, have a consciously consumed meal like there's that angle and then there's also 
the cu cultural connection of it and cultural exchange. There's a lot of talk in food writing and food media about, we talk a lot about appropriation in all different mm -hmm. facets of life, but is it okay to cook for a white family to cook tacos at home or to cook a traditional Memphis barbecue at home? There's just a lot of discussion about where are the lines mm -hmm. and I don't have a good answer for that. I still cook tacos at home and I wouldn't fault anybody for doing that. What's the argument for not doing it at home in private where you're not offending anybody? I think it's less about offending and more about appropriating something that was not your culture's and enjoying it for yourself in a way that is your own take on it. I don't know. I, I think... I know so, you've thought about that. Yeah, I think a lot of... When we talk about cultural appropriation and when it can be problematic is when there's the power imbalance. And so when the culture sort of experiencing or enjoying another culture has traditionally dominated in terms of the group or the culture. And then also in terms of profiting... And yeah. so in terms of a private dinner at home, I think like if the items are, are bought from like ethical places, yeah, it, it's a lot about that profiting. So it's like if you're a white family and you open a taco stand mm -hmm. and you're finding out the recipes from maybe yeah. some Mexican or indigenous family. So kind of taking without giving back. I think that's when it can become. But I, but I think that if it's about true learning and exchange mm -hmm. so. pleasure and a pleasure and a giving back to you know wherever you got the stuff to make yep but um, i mean when does it become part of dominant culture because if there's cultural mm. appropriation with food then 75% of america couldn't eat mac and cheese that's I, exactly it gets really messy well, right we wouldn't have any yeah mm -hmm. it gets really messy because of how we exactly yeah or goulash, or beef stroganoff, or, you know, any number of things. Yeah. The thing that you said about, like, a white family mm -hmm. opening a taco stand, that's the history of Taco Bell, is the place down in San Bernardino, or San Dimas, sorry, I think it's San Dimas, there was a family Mexican restaurant owned by a Mexican family, still owned by them, and a man, a white guy, came in, loved the tacos, saw an opportunity, McDonald's was going crazy with, a you know, like a little... Um, car hop kind of place and he opened Taco Bell it's crazy to look at his empire that he built and then to look at the family restaurant that's still going and is very gracious about about what happened but that is total appropriation right in the Bay Area mm -hmm. the vast majority of bagel shops are owned and run by Chinese people mm -hmm. How does that work? And that can depend on the relationships between the communities, too, about whether or not that's even an issue. Mm -hmm. In Los Angeles, a lot of black beauty shops and black hair shops are owned by Korean immigrants. Mm. Um, and that has been a point of, you know, even going back to the L.A. riots in terms of some of the tension between those communities right. and some of the black community feeling like, you know, they came into our community and, and bought up all these beauty shops and it's like where we all shop and we're giving them money and remember my friend my black girlfriend Nicole um saying like you know we need to go to these black owned beauty shops because they're black owned and we have to like support our own people and so it's all that's been definitely a, a thing you know fried chicken sandwiches from Chick-fil-a but I know that the man who started it really believed he was doing something brand new I mean, he made mm. a big deal about that. 
maybe even centuries ahead of that of fried chicken sandwich, fried chicken and bread that was happening long before that for him to be like, you know what, I have something new. And then all of the political stuff that's happened after that, you can really see a disconnect between an awareness of, you know, other cultures and history. I think that food is one of the easiest ways to talk about politics and geopolitical and cultural life because everybody has to eat. We, of course, finished with dessert. Courtney's apple pie empanadas. Okay, here we go. It And it does look. It looks and smells. <laughs> and it's crispy and... <laughs> Perfect. Okay, let's see. <laughs> it's super hot. Yeah. I want to my food away. Oh, my gosh, I love it. Racial justice apple pie empanadas. As you can tell, our conversation had its own journey, from Courtney and Jamie's journeys of racial justice to racial justice in the food industry. You can watch their short film, Restrictions Apply, on the Race Matters Slow website and engage with the toolkit for neighborhoods and communities. During these pandemic years, I learned a lot about racial inequality, allyship, being an anti-racist, and systemic racism and structural inequality. I personally have a long way to go. Clearly, as a nation, we have a long way to go, too. Conversations over food are a useful tool in understanding where your friends, neighbors, and others are. Hopefully, at your dinner table, like mine, restrictions don't apply. Having that racial covenant removed for us, we have decided that it doesn't belong in our title, and it doesn't belong on our parcel or in our home. For us here, that restriction does not apply. This is KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian, and I'm playing with food.